Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, this June 16th on the cusp of the U.S. Open. Uh, very excited about that. We'll talk a little bit about that here in just a minute when the guys come on. Uh, I'm going to start things off as, as always with a, a great uh, round of coaches uh, corner on the panel. And I got two great uh, guys, two veterans of the game. Really been on the show many, many times, and of course veterans uh, of the uh, of golf as well. Uh, Mr. John Hughes and Pete Buchanan. I'll bring them up here in just a second. And then a little bit later on in the show, uh, on the second half of the show, after the coach's corner, uh, a gentleman actually that was on his first panel discussion earlier uh, this year, uh, Mr. Paul Kasser. He's a golf coach and uh, the Forest Gate Country Club's director of instruction. He's going to be joining me in the second half of the show, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, taking your game uh, onto the golf course uh, from the practice tee and, and some other good stuff as well we're going to have in there. But we've got a great discussion on the panel t- uh, tonight, and we're going to talk uh, about a lot of different things. And I'll get to that, as I said, just in a second here. But let me just remind everybody, of course, every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, Central Time or 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time uh, for those of you on the East Coast and 4 to 6 for those of you Pacific Time um, is where you can find us. Go to blogtalkradio.com, up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live. And uh, that will take you to the main page. And, of course, on the live broadcast, it will always be at the top. Uh, for some reason, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, not to worry. Uh, all of the shows, of course, are auto-recorded uh, as they are broadcasted. And uh, you can always go to the link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive, and just scroll down to the on-demand section. And it will always be the most recent show. Again, will be at the top. And you can just scroll down and listen to uh, uh, some of the previously aired shows uh, when it's convenient for you if, if you can't join us here live. But for those of you that are tuning in tonight live, thank you very much as always. Uh, good to have you here, here on board. Uh, if you want to call in, we always encourage you guys to call in. I know some of you are a little shy out there, uh, but the number to call, of course, is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, we're here to take your questions and calls, and uh, we would love to help you uh, uh, maybe fine-tune or fix your game if you're having some issues right now. So, again, uh, we encourage you to call into the show if, if you uh, so desire. And, again, that number is 646 716 uh, Also, you can email me any questions or comments about the show to ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And uh, if you're somebody in the golf business, whether you're an instructor or coach, uh, an entrepreneur, or maybe somebody that's written a golf book, uh, anybody in the golf industry really or, uh, that wants to uh, reach out to me and come on the program, uh, you can also reach out to uh, me at uh, my email address, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, always update the programs, of course, on social media, Facebook and Twitter particularly, but also on LinkedIn, my uh, 
pages, facebook.com forward slash golf talk live blog. Make sure you have blog in the end there. And my Twitter handle, of course, is Ted and Buck, CEO, CEO being in capital letters. And thank you for all of the recent followers and likes uh, on, on both uh, uh, social media forums. Um, as I mentioned, I've got two great guys coming on the show here, so I'm going to bring them out. Uh, John Hughes, first up, uh, he's a PGA Master Professional, uh, also the Vice President of the North Florida PGA Section, and he was the recipient of the 2013 PGA of America Horton Smith Award. And he's recognized as one of the top 30 instructors uh, here in the U.S. by Golf Tips magazine. Uh, also following with him is uh, Pete Buchanan. He's the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC. Uh, and Plain Simple Golf, of course, uh, houses the uh, Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace, uh, which are some great products and, and uh, uh, definitely want you to uh, check that out uh, after the show. Uh, he's taught for over 30 years and... Uh, Pete's agenda really is to simplify his golf swing philosophy in an effort to help make it simple for you guys out there to play your best. So, gentlemen, uh, again, welcome back to the Coach's Corner panel. Hi, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Good to be here. All right. Well, I appreciate it, guys, as always. And, and I mean, you guys have been on here so many times now. I, I think I've lost count. But um, always, uh, as I said, let me just first say thank you very much for doing that. I know it's not always easy. Uh, schedules sometimes get uh, conflicted and it's not always easy to to be able to, to schedule the time but uh, I'm glad that you guys are and and have done so uh, so many times in the past and and continue to do so in the future so thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for doing that guys I appreciate it all right we're going to talk about here tonight um, I, I decided I wanted to talk about uh, really three levels or, or categories if you will of students we're going to talk about um, each independently of course uh, the not advanced or beginning students uh, intermediate students and the advanced students. Now, there's actually really four categories. Um, we're not really going to, we're going to sort of graze across, if you will, the experts uh, or what we'd classify as the professionals. So there's really fat four categories. There's the uh, beginning uh, students out there, the intermediate students and advanced. And then, of course, there's the uh, professionals, which uh, you're going to be watching this weekend at the U.S. Open. Um, first and foremost, guys, any, any thoughts about the U.S. Open before we get into our discussion? Uh, John, I'll let you go first. Well, it looks like it's Florida up there, at least Florida weather. With the afternoon showers, uh, they'll definitely change the the greens and how they play. But uh, it's still early. The tournament can be lost today. In the next couple of days, we'll see how it shakes out. But Oakmont always tends to uh, bring forth the absolute best golfer who's not necessarily hot, but the person who can navigate the best with the entire bag, uh, not necessarily just a few clubs. Right. Um, Pete, what about you? Is there anybody, uh, you know, obviously it's a little early for predictions right now, but uh, are you looking uh, or would you like to see maybe a more seasoned veteran? Like, you know, everybody's talking about Phil Mickelson. Uh, would you like to see him uh, holding up the cup on Sunday or, uh, you know, maybe one of the, the young guns? What, what's your thoughts there? Well, we were having a discussion today, and, and, you know, my pick would be Dustin Johnson. I'd love to see him come forward and, and you know, you know, last year to watching him down the stretch, and then he just couldn't get it done. But I'd like to see him yep. play very well here and, and then come up. And, you know, he's such a he's such a smooth player. You know, it's it's fun to watch him. He hits it so far, you know. But as, you know, John was saying, you know, Oakmont, you, you just never know. I mean, that golf course, yeah. you can hit a perfect shot and end up, you know, where you – never wanted to be so you know it's going to be a test of I think those that you know mentally can can just you know push themselves around the golf course without 
as John said previously too, you know, losing it today or tomorrow, you know, that's really the right. key. Yeah, and 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 you know, you, you hit it right on the head there too, Pete. Is is that you know mentally, this is going to be a mental test, I think. I mean, all of these guys, we know they their physical abilities um, are certainly not really going to come into question. Uh, question, you know, there might be the odd miss hit here and there, but for the most part, um, it, it's going to come up to who's you know mentally tough uh, and emotionally tough um, throughout the next few days. I think is going to be the ultimate winner, and certainly there's going to be a little luck in, involved in there, some some uh, putts that maybe you wouldn't think you're going to go in or suddenly going to drop in there and, and maybe position somebody in, in, a, in a good spot uh, coming in Sunday. So we'll have to wait and see, and we'll see what happens. Um, but let, let's get back to the discussion here. Uh, I want to start with beginning golfers, and, and those, are, of course, are the students that, uh, that fall into this category of, as I said, not advanced or beginner golfers. Uh, they tend to be very widely, uh, wildly excuse me, inconsistent um, and tend to be players that shoot double bogey golf or worse uh, sort of fall into this category. Um, so I want to ask, uh, and John, I'll, I'll go back to you here real quick. Um, obviously, we're going to teach uh, each of these levels differently. Um, there's some components that might be similar. And I, and I want you, uh, just let me preface this for both of you here. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead and, and, and sort of cover all three at once. So let's, let's stick with the beginner. Um, John, if you have a student that's come in and you've, you've sort of vetted them out and, and they've indicated that they're a beginning student and you've had some uh, discussions with them and that, um, what are some things that you're going to be looking at uh, um, and how are you going to handle this person um, compared to maybe what you might do with somebody else? A question I ask all golfers, regardless of skill, is why they play, which a lot of instructors mm-hmm. don't ask. And that the answer to that is going to predicate where I'm probably going to go with them, along with just trying to assess their overall athleticism. Uh, someone who's fairly athletic, you can sort of get them into feeling what good impact is. Uh, others who are not so athletic, it's literally just trying to have them maximize their athleticism by understanding better balanced movement. Uh, mm-hmm. um, this time of year in Florida, like, we get a lot of beginners to come out of the woodwork and want to try golf and, and see where it goes. And if they're not having fun and, and if I'm not understanding what their fun level is related to why they play, am I playing because the spouse plays or my son or daughter plays or I need to learn this for corporate reasons, whatever the case may mm-hmm. be, you have to take that into consideration as well as their time commitment to it. Uh, the bottom line to me is, and I've said this before, and I'll I'll repeat it until I'm dead, that it's all about having fun. And right. that does relate to how they're going to take to the game. Uh, definitely not oversaturating somebody, just keeping it fairly simple, keeping it fairly easy. And if they can accomplish something, that's really the key is can they accomplish something that gets that adrenaline flow and that, wants, that, that sort of inspires them and motivates them to come back that's really the key, and that it's different for everybody. Uh, some people sure. need that athletic movement, and some people don't. And that's where I tend to, to evaluate first and go from there based on what their goals and their aspirations are. Right, exactly. Well said. Um, you know, Pete, one of the things that I, I try to do with, with beginning golfers, and I think it's important, uh, and, and John, I know that you would you would cover this as well, um, 
you know, most of the, the beginning golfers, I think it's, it's, it's critical to, to build good fundamentals. I think it's important to make sure that they start off with, a, with the proper setup, proper grip, and uh, a good solid base uh, to work with, alignment, things like that. And also, I think it's important to develop a, a good pre-shot routine. Most uh, beginning golfers don't even really understand what a pre-shot routine is, and I think it's important to help them develop one and, and incorporate one right from the get-go. I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of people make, um, and not just in teaching but in golfers uh, taking up the game, is they don't get into a good habit or good uh, pre-routine, if you will, and also the post-routine is important. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. But Pete, um, fundamentals and, and, and developing a, a pre-shot routine, uh, critical for the beginning golfer? Well, no question. You know, one of the first things I always like to ask them is, you know, what is golf to you? You know, you know you're know, you here, so what do you want to get out of it? And, you know, the basic fundamentals are important. You know, I know we're talking about beginners, but for every player. But it's important sure. because they have such an advantage as a beginner because they don't have any previous knowledge to react from. And so you can really get in and get them set in a, in a good address, uh, get them to, you know, set up with the, the parameters that are necessary. But, you know, one of the things I want to make clear from the start is I always ask them, what are we trying to do? So if we're putting, if we're chipping, if we're pitching, if we're bunker shots, or just the regular regular full swing, I always ask them, you know, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? So they can understand what do we want the ball to do? So in order to make the ball behave in a certain way, the club and the ball have to have a reaction. And here's what that has to look like. And then from there, you have to do these things to make that reaction happen. And so that way they get it so they can understand what's supposed to happen, why they're supposed to do the things to make that happen, and then how to set up to achieve it. You know, we all know that most of the amateurs that play the game miss hit shots before they ever hit them because they put themselves right. in a dress where they can't get it done. And so they've, they've not learned the reaction to, here's what I'm trying to do, here are the things that are going to control that, here's how I can control the club. So based on that, if you can get them to understand that process from the beginning, they're so far ahead of the game because they can always see what the ball does, lead that back to the relationship between the club and the ball, and then how to go about fixing it on their own. So I try to get them into that framework right away so that they understand that every time they're going to hit a shot, you have to ask yourself, what are we trying to do here? You know, and I spent time with the Jacobs schools. John, John Jacobs said that every time when I got to work with him and, and got to watch him teach, every single class we went to says, what are we trying to do? First and foremost, yep. what do we want the ball to do? So I think if they can get that fundamental understanding at the beginning, it makes it a little bit easier for them to see how and why they need to set up the way they do. Yeah, uh, uh, well said, both of you, by the way. Um, you know, the other thing, John, that I want to talk about as well is, is obviously, you know, in, in today's game, you know, years ago instruction primarily, you know, we kept them you know, on the practice tee and, and got them working on different, uh, you know, their fundamentals and, and other shots and things like that to, to get them to understand golf. But now most of the instructors are, are, are trying to get them out in the course. For beginning golfer only, I'm talking about the beginners right now. We'll, we'll talk about the others in a second. For beginning golfers, how much time, uh, and we'll use it just a, a, as a platform, let's say an hour-long lesson, how much time for a beginning golfer should be dedicated on the range or in the practice facility, and how much uh, on course, if at all, in the early stages of development? Uh, I tend to 
get the confidence level of the student in front of me to find out if they're confident enough to get out on the golf course with the skills they currently have. A lot of times they've already been on the course, and that's why they're there to see us. Uh, It didn't go well. It just was so disastrous. They felt the need to start fresh and start anew, as Pete said. So it's really based, again, on the individual. A lot of the beginning, beginning lessons are probably more done on the range than, say, on the golf course, simply because if you can't accomplish it on the range, how are you going to accomplish it on the golf course? Uh, The real key is can you advance the golf ball in some way, some form, some fashion? Are you advancing that golf ball in a functional way? It doesn't have to be pretty. doesn't have to be the best-looking pose at the end, but can you put the club on the ball, have that reactive element that Pete spoke about, and get it moving, propelled down the fairway and onto the green. And that's typically, again, based on the individual. I've got a couple of beginners. The only place they want to be is on the golf course because they elude such confidence. They elude so much enthusiasm that they'd rather learn it on the golf course. And that's probably fewer and much more far between than the average beginner who's having issues with just, let's get the club on the ball. Uh, And that typically is going to boil down not only to confidence, but athleticism. Uh, People who are more athletic are going to be more prone to want to get out on a golf course. They're a bit hungry to be out there. And that's certainly something that we can accomplish. I've I've got some beginners now that they're nowhere close to being ready to be on a golf course. They've never, ever been on a golf course so to bring them out there and, and let allow them to fail is something a great coach won't allow to happen until it's time yep. for it to happen. You do learn from failures, but you sure. can literally have such disastrous failures in just one hole with a beginner that will never come back and play. And it's our responsibility right. as their coach to at least give them the opportunity to come back that second time, that third time, that fourth time, it's not that I'm guarded getting people on the golf course. So we want them out there, but some indoctrination sure. sometimes a great, great example, especially the business person. I'll bring them out on the golf course and only have them chip and putt, but at the same time have them understand where to stand when, when they're putting and when somebody else is putting and what a red hazard is or what a yellow hazard is just simply so they can handle themselves in that kind of situation. So it really yeah, depends well, on the person and the situation too. Yeah, and and you, you raise an interesting point too, John. It is really obviously it depends on the individual. Some uh, individuals are a little bit more aggressive in their play and and want to you know get out there. But um, again, we have to be careful that we're not taking somebody that's maybe not quite ready um, to step out in the golf course and let them have uh, you know an experience that's not going to be um, or is going to be rather detrimental. And, and more than likely get them to shy away from coming back again. And we certainly want them to, to continue to come back. Um, you know, Pete, that also, I guess, brings up a, another thing. I, I talked to – one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this tonight is, um, you know, I always try to find some different topics and, and things that we can have uh, discussions on the panel because I don't want to, uh, you know, fall into the pattern of, of, you know, sort of the same old questions of, you know, how do you fix the slice? How do you, you know, hit a draw or how do you do this? Um, you know, there's just too much of that, and that's not really helping golfers out there. It might help a few uh, throw a Band-Aid here. But... So yesterday I had a very unique opportunity, and uh, while I was preparing um, for tonight's show, 
I had five young gentlemen uh, ranging from 10 years old up to the oldest was 19. Now, they were all cousins and all knew one another, and there were five of them, as I said, all boys and various different levels. Most of them were beginning golfers. Some had played a few times. One was an intermediate golfer. We'll talk about him in a second. And one of the things I want to do is I wanted to ask them questions about what they wanted to know about the golf game, you know, what they wanted to learn, what was troubling them, where they were having difficulties, and what they didn't understand. And it was kind of interesting, the different perspectives. Obviously, um, you know, the youngest player, um, as I said, was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, he hadn't played very much. And he didn't really have a strong interest. He enjoyed going out once in a while with his dad. So, again, it goes to your point, John. You talk about really understanding and asking, you know, why are you here? Are you just there to have fun or is it just something you want to do with your dad or, or a partner once in a while? And so understanding and assessing that. Then they had the intermediate, intermediate golfer who plays quite regularly, actually used to play competitively, um, had some different question concerns. I'm going to throw a few of those in here as well. But, um, but Pete, obviously, to, to further John's point, it really depends, I think, with your students on where they at, even though they're a beginning golfer, uh, where their comfort level is uh, and what their ability is before you want to start shuffling them out to the golf course, correct? That is correct. You know, one of the things that I've done is, you know, we take the short game area and actually play holes that way to start them off. And so we play little par three, fours, and fives from about 40 yards on in just to get them used to, to playing the ball around the green. And, you know, so many times when you look at players out on the golf course, you can get them to reasonably hit it as a beginning player. They hit a couple of shots within 40 yards of the green, and they make it 17. You know, so because the short game is just not there. I want to get them fundamentally sound putting, chipping, and pitching first. Let them understand what the scoring shots are around the green. Get them comfortable mm-hmm. being around the greens. Because in my experience with beginners, that's where they take the longest time. They get around the green, and, you know, unless they're just picking them up. But, you know, they just take forever. So I think it can get them comfortable with, you know, how to play little, little holes around there. And then when we start on the golf course, we start at 100 yards. We just drive straight yep. down the fairway until we're 100 yards out. We're going to tee off from here. Now let's get you comfortable being out here, you know, being around the greens, how you're supposed to move, where you walk, the things to look out for. And, you know, those types of things. So I think that gives them a good fundamental start. So they're a little bit more comfortable with out there. And obviously with what John said, you have to deal with the personalities because some may not be, you know, ready even though you're doing those things. But I've always found when they're comfortable around the greens, um, they can just maneuver around the golf course so much easier. Sure. Yeah, that, that, that's so true. Um, you know, what was interesting talking about, and I want to move on to the intermediate uh, category now, and this, of course, we're talking about the golfer who um, has, you know, uh, some yet limited control over the golf ball. They can hit some decent shots, um, but yet lack consistency. They're, they're not consistent players, um, and they tend to range, you know, from bogey golf to double bogey. They're not quite, you know, some pars might be in there once in a while, but um, they're, they're still not consistent enough to, to really get in there and shoot some great scores. Um, so, so, John, I want to go back to you here. Um, you know, with the intermediate golfers, again, I, I can't emphasize enough, and I think you, you mentioned this, or it might have been Pete. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in the fundamentals, and I, and I take a, a, a quote from Jack Nicholas in Golf My Way. You know, every season when he would get ready to start a, a new season on the PGA Tour, he always went through basically all of his fundamentals, um, again, from grip and so forth, uh, stance and posture and alignment and all those uh, components. 
Uh, he did that every year at the beginning of the season to make sure that he was doing everything correctly that was comfortable for his his uh, play. And he, he always emphasized the importance of that. And, of course, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, but essentially that's what he was saying. Um, for the intermediate golfer, certainly we want to revisit fundamentals here as well. But with the intermediate golfer um, discussing or explaining ball flight laws uh, and giving them uh, – is that a good option here, helping them to understand – how the ball is reacting to, to certain situations with, with the uh, club control. Is, that a, is this something that we don't want to necessarily start with the beginning golfer, but the intermediate golfer, is this something that we may want to have a discussion with them and, and uh, help them understand why the ball is reacting the way it does? I hate to go back to this, but it does depend on the person and at what stage they are in learning the game. Uh, are they studying the swing? Are they studying movement? Or are they still just trying to get the ball around in as few strokes as possible? A lot of people who claim they're inconsistent, I'll let them know that they're consistently inconsistent. And what I mean right. by that is you, you <laughs> define consistent as a score, but sometimes we have to take score out of it to have someone understand that they hit a shot a particular way 98% of the time, and that 2% anomaly may be something at least what I've found, to be a compensation back to something that they ought to be doing. And I, with with the advancement of technology, I think what we're all falling into, or at least finding out, and I've said this before on the show, is that alignment's probably the number one thing that an intermediate <clears throat> golfer fails to do, and it falls back on to that pre-shot routine. Are they actually lining something up to, can they see how that straight arrow is going to fly towards that target. Right. Most people neglect that. And because of that neglection, compensation sink into the swing. So it's a lot about still fundamentals, still getting set up correctly to be, to set your machine up. So when you turn it on, it turns on fluidly and repeats. And that to me is more the definition of consistent. Uh, can you can you set up the same way each and every time? I've got years of, of videos that show that once we get somebody aligned correctly, posture changes for the better, weight transfer changes for the better, club plane and club path change for the better, and it's all due to that misalignment. Uh, a lot of times when people are inconsistent, you'll hear them say they hit a great shot, but it goes right for the right-hander yet they're trying to figure out why they have the slice. Well, they're predestined to do it based on how they've set up. So a lot of people who plateau, and I'll typically see the plateau somewhere between 14 and 17 handicap. It's literally a matter of them understanding, let's just clean some things up. You don't have to get ultra detailed or ultra precise here. Just the bigger things that are going neglected that a Nicholas did do. I've got firsthand knowledge of that through his, not uh, Jack Route, but Dick, Jack Route's son, Dick, who's a good friend of mine, a PJ professional in South Carolina. He witnessed what Nicholas would do. And here's a, arguably the world's best golf player ever who would right. meticulously work on those, on four fundamentals grip alignment, stance, and posture. And rarely did Dick's father, Jack, give Mr. Nicholas some type of lesson that concerned movement because they knew back in the 40s and 50s, if you don't set your machine up correctly, how can the machine work correctly? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Pete, also on, on, I think, for the intermediate golfer. Now, I'm going to mention a couple things that Michael, who was the young uh, gentleman, he was uh, 17. And by the way, these uh, three of the, the five were from, uh, they're all originally from Indiana. Um, but three of the five uh, still live up in Indiana. And the other two, uh, one lived in Ohio. And the other one, I think, lived uh, actually not too far from, uh, from where I live, up in Chipley, Florida. Um, but they're all, they're all cousins. And, and uh, they were at sort of a family get-together. And they kind of saw me uh, doing my thing there and, and piqued uh, my curiosity. So I invited them to, to join me for, for a conversation. And I, you know, sort of asked them some questions about it. You know, first I've asked if they, any of them golfed and, and naturally. And, and then we uh, went from there. And, and Michael, who was the intermediate golfer, he's the one that played the most, uh, played a little bit competitive golf, uh, you know, through school and so forth. Um, you know, one of the things I, you know, I asked him, I said, well, you know, what areas are you struggling with? What do you most want to, you know, to sort of get from your golf game? And, and obviously typical young, young male is he wanted to get uh, more distance. He wanted to know how to hit, um, you know, the ball further and, and things like that. And I asked him, you know, generally what he scores. And he says, he, you know, he, he averages, um, you know, in around 86 to, to 90 in that range, which is pretty much falling what, what I'm talking about here in intermediates. Um, but I asked him about things like course management and how he handles himself, navigates around the course. So, Pete, obviously that's important for an intermediate golfer to improve. It's not just all about ball striking. I mean, certainly you want to get their consistency up, but it's about how you help them to navigate um, their way around the course for that particular type of golfer. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, that I've done is I've designed a scorecard that would have them track their scores in the sense of the shots that they hit. And so they track mm-hmm. the number of tee shots, their second shots into the par fours and par fives, their third shots into the par fives. And I had a category called others if they missed the green and then putts. And it would really give them an idea of, you know, if you hit 14 tee shots, well, then you did what you were supposed to do because you only had 14 available. If you had 16 tee shots, that means you had a couple of them out of bounds and you had to redo it. So it kind of gives them an idea of, you know, where is their game really struggling for the score? You know, and a lot mm-hmm. of times we'll find out that it's not necessarily the longer shots, it's the shorter ones. That's where they're wasting so many shots. You know, they make a six on a hole, they have a drive and a second shot, and they have four shots around the green. And so that's yeah, where, exactly. they're, where they're trying to, trying to find that. And so, you know, an, another side of the coin with an intermediate player, too, is I always like to ask them, too, you know, especially when you have a question about distance or a question about mm-hmm. I'm trying to hit a particular shot, and I asked them, well, what do you think is necessary to hit that type of shot? What are you trying to do? And they'll explain to me what they're trying to do, and then I'll go back to them and say, do you realize that none of that will give you what you're trying to do? Right. Because for the most part, right. they're doing mostly the opposite of what they should be doing because they don't have the understanding of what's going to give them those types of shots. So it goes back to, as you said, fundamentals. Fundamentals are for, you know, everybody. And it goes back to, sure. okay, if you want to get more distance, if you want to hit a ball that doesn't slice or hook, do you understand what's necessary to make that happen? And here's what's necessary, so here's what you have to do. So try to go on back to a fundamental route, back to ball flight, back into, okay, there's the ball, there's the flight I want, here's the relationship the club has to give it, how do I achieve it? And so I think it really opens them up to a new view of what's going on, but it always works them as I always like to say, back towards correct. What is correct? How do I get back towards correct? So they're always working towards correct instead of fighting an incorrect, which 
the vast majority of players that play the game do. They fight it incorrect. They never get anywhere because they're always fighting what's wrong instead of understanding what's correct and working towards it. Right. What was really interesting about the conversation, and again, I wanted to take a perspective for somebody outside of the industry. I mean, you know, it's great that we have our discussions here every week uh, on, on the Coach's Corner panel, but we're in the industry. We understand, you know, first off, we understand the lingo. We understand the, the technology that's out there. But for the average golfer, I wanted to get, and especially the younger golfers, there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misunderstandings. And, and I actually proved it yesterday in the conversation. Uh, to give you an example, um, one of the other young gentlemen, I don't remember all of their names, unfortunately, but um, a couple of them stuck out. But the other gentleman, uh, young boy that uh, was there in the group, uh, was 13. And he initially started off, he wanted to understand, he didn't know how to set up, uh, you know, to make putts. He didn't know how to set up uh, to, to use his putter and that. But one of the other questions he asked me goes, goes on to what you were just talking about, you know, making good contact and that, is he, he wanted to know about, again, how hitting the ball further, how much energy should he put into it? In other words, how hard should he swing? How fast should he swing? So he equated it with, with sort of brute strength, if you will, in making the ball go further. And that's a misconception that, as we all know, that a lot of people have. And, and it just goes to show, and it's no fault of instruction because most of these kids, you know, were not taking instruction, um, but they don't understand. Um, so, so, John, let, let's talk a little bit about that. We can encompass it in the intermediate level if you want, but there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstandings out there of, of what we need to do and, and why things happen. So let's touch a little bit on that if we can. Sure. I, the, the first thing that I tell people is that golf is intuitively opposite meaning just what Pete said earlier, just said differently, that what you think may be correct is probably opposite. For golf, you want to hit it right, got to aim left, vice versa. So that that's one of the things that you can teach, you can orate, you can even demonstrate, but until the aha moment and with the intermediate, intermediate golfer, there's a lot of aha moments. Uh, the other one is, do you really need more effort, or is it more about technique that allows effort to be more efficient? Uh, I, the, the story I always tell my clients, especially when they're looking for more distance, is me taking a lesson, oh, God, almost 30 years ago from one of my mentors, Jimmy Hamilton in Raleigh, where he had me hitting wedges, and at the time I was hitting a wedge 135, 140, and he asked me to hit it 100 yards and tried to put it together with my driver saying, look, the reason why you're not hitting your driver well is because you're just out of control. You're out of balance. But he said it in a way that allowed me to learn from my mistake. I had that aha moment, and when I put the 100-yard wedge swing on a ball with a driver – I miraculously am hitting the best drives I've hit in quite a long time. But yet, mm-hmm. I was still in the back of my brain thought, wow, if I'm only swinging at 100 yards with this thing, can you imagine what I'd do if I swung at 100%? And then all of a sudden, it goes sideways again. So right. <laughs> a lot of the things that an intermediate golfer needs to learn has to be learned, not necessarily by trial and error. It just has to be learned by error. And then mm-hmm. sort of working backwards, as Pete said, to what's the correct? And one of the things right. I try to teach that intermediate intermediate golfer is, you know what, great decisions will always camouflage poor performance. 
meaning you can set up correctly because you made the correct decision as to what shot to hit and what club to hit and so forth. And you may not hit it perfectly, but at least it's going to be a great miss. And that's what the intermediate golfer struggles with, that it's not a game of perfect. It is a game of misses. And once they can achieve those three aha moments, they tend to climb up to the next plateau rather quickly. Yeah, well, well said. Um, you know, one of the things that I asked Michael, and this is again our, our intermediate golfer that uh, that I spoke with yesterday. You know, one of the things I asked him is, you know, when he steps up to the first tee, what is he, you know, what is he focusing on? What does he see? And you know, the first thing out of his mouth was, well, I'm I'm looking at the pin. You know, I'm looking at where the pin is. Well, I, I said, you know, on a shorter hole, that's a little easier, but. You know, on a longer hole, if it's a par four, par five, it's not always easy to tell exactly where it's positioned. But I said, what else do you see when you're looking at? What are you thinking about when you're stepping up on that first tee? And typical amateur golfer, they're seeing and focusing on a lot of the trouble. You know, bunkers, um, you know, water hazards, what have you. Um, They're not really focusing on the target where they want the ball to go, where they're trying to position the ball. And conversely, a pro, when they step up to that tee, they're looking at in reverse, um, and, and Pete, I think you would agree with this. You know, they're certainly, you know, cognizant of, of where the trouble is, but they're not focusing, and they're not sitting there in their mind saying, well, I, gosh, I don't want to hit it in the bunker, or I don't want to hit it over to that water. They know where the trouble is, but they're focusing on the specific task at hand, and that is to put it in the best position that's going to give them an increased opportunity to hit that next shot into the green, or depending on, on the hole in that. Um, and that's what they're thinking about. They're not thinking about all the trouble, whereas the amateur has the opposite. And, and Pete, that's something that we have to try to, you know, sort of train our, our, our beginning golfers, in particular our intermediate golfers, to, to focus on. Is that, uh, is that kind of what you're doing as well? Well, absolutely. I, you know, I like to take, in, in far as a mental golf class, I like to take them out to a par three and stand on the tee box, and I'll say, what do you see? And inevitably, nobody sees the green. Right. And there's a bunker, there's water, there's, you know, and they'll ask me, what do you see? I said, that's a funny card over there. Look at that bird flying over there. And, you know, so I'll tease him a little bit and say, you know, I'm I'm looking around at the surrounding areas. But I said, you know, I'm looking at the green and where I'm going to hit my ball on it. I said, so there's a little bit different perspective than what you're doing there. Because they, it goes back to, you know, they're always, they're always looking where the fault is. You know, amazingly, a guy will step up on a tee and hit a ball you know, 50 yards right out of bounds, and then he tees another one up and hits the next ball right next to it because that's the only thing you're thinking about. And so you have to get them to say, you know, what's the object of the tee shot in the first place? To put the ball in the fairway as far down as you can. Not to hit it as far as you can and hope it lands in the fairway. So first of all, you have to take a club that's going to enable you to put it in play. Now, that may not be a driver. You know, I used to tell them when I warmed up the last 10, 15 shots, I hit with a driver only to see if I could use it. If it's going crooked on the driving range, that's going to double magnify on the first tee. And so you have to look in perspective of what are we trying to achieve here. The tee shot's goal is to put it in play as far down as you can. So what club is going to comfortably allow you to do that? And if you're going to pull the driver out and your blood pressure is going to go up, the grip's going to get tighter, your arms are going to strangle the thing, you know, the tighter you hold it, you know, the, the slower it's going to swing. Right. And so, and the other thing I try to tell them is something I always came up with when you're talking about distance. I said, if you try to hit it hard, you'll hardly hit it. But if you hardly hit it, you'll yeah. hit it hard. Right. You know, and so when you try to kill it, it doesn't go anywhere. 
you know, the the one guy that says, well, I'll just you know, take a little swing and punch it out of the trees, and they mow it 50 yards across the fairway. You know, because they really, you know, they, they take an easy swing and they actually contact it. But as John was saying previously, when you slow things down, you can actually speed the club up. Because, yep. you know, they used to tell sprinters, I want you to sprint this 100 yards and run as hard as you can. And then I want you to run at 80%. And at 80%, they went faster. Because they weren't as tense. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so it's a lot of that, and, too. So I think I think in those pictures, you know, it's just getting them to understand, you know, yeah, there's trouble out there, but where are you trying to put your ball? Where do, where do you see your ball landing? You know, Pete, you one, know, of the be- one of the best examples I've ever seen of that is two or three scenes out of Bagger Vance. Hollywood did a hell of a job just setting up the final putt on the final green, the the first tee shot, the the out shot when Matt Damon hit it, just sliced the living you know what out of it, and he's able to see the shot through the trees. Uh, that's what happens with the better golfer, and the intermediate golfer just can't put that together. It goes back to what Pete was saying. What do you see? They they just don't see what inevitably needs to take place. And if if you if you're an intermediate golfer and want to totally understand what Pete and you and I are talking about, go back and look at Bagger Vance. It's a fantastic example. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a, that's a great point, John. Thank you for for mentioning that. And and, and just very quickly, we don't need to get into a, a big thing because I want to move on to the advanced because um, I see our times moving here. But um, again, going back to to uh, as with the beginning golfer, obviously we want to balance the time uh, depending on their skill level, but uh, balance uh, some range time with some on course time as well. And I think with an intermediate golfer, uh, again, depending on their level and abilities, um, I, I would say that I would try to encourage them and get them more out in the course because now, you know, we, we want to work on, as I said, we want to work on getting them more consistent, hitting the ball with more confidence. But I also think, you know, I want them to understand and, and think their way around the golf course and not just, you know, hit balls on the range and, and until they hit it pretty. I want them to be thinking and, and using their, their noggin, if you will, out in the golf course and, and, and creating scenarios uh, and it could be, like you said, Pete, earlier, you know, just maybe doing some chipping to the green and uh, on the green and, and, and maybe some short pitch shots from 100 yards in um, initially until they t- sort of zero in on that uh, more effectively. But that's really, I think, uh, for an intermediate golfer, you know, when it comes to sort of balancing that range and, and course time, uh, certainly I think we want to get them more out in the golf course but we certainly need to make sure that they're, they're prepared for it, as, as John indicated earlier. All right, let's move on to the advanced golfer. Um, Pete, I'm going to let you start off on this one. Of course, our advanced player, uh, you know, things to, to touch on, of course, uh, we want to check up with the fundamentals, as always, with all of our levels, no matter whether beginning, intermediate, or advanced, or even the expert pro- professional level. Um, again, ball flight laws, they have usually by this point, your more advanced players have a little bit or, or certainly a better understanding of what it's all about. Um, we might want to talk to them about club face angle, club path, uh, club head path, excuse me, um, centeredness of contact and angle of approach, and of course, club head speed. Um, we're going to talk to them a little bit more about that, I think, at this level. Um, would you agree with that, Pete? Well, yeah, I think so. The, obviously, the more advanced they get, the, it's going to become more uh, precise for where they're hitting it as far as you know the, the position on the club face that they hit it. So the, you give them a little bit of understanding of you know what is happening, you know what the difference is in, in the different impact factors from you know, face path angle, um, how the speed and spin are, are going to affect what they're doing with it, uh, how to effectively use the bounce, because a lot of them don't know how to do that in the wedge shots. 
Um, but, yeah, I think you're getting a little bit more precise because now in order for them to score efficiently, they have to make fewer errors. And so you have to get right. them more efficient at what they're doing. And I always like them uh, it, when I'm talking to the more advanced players, I always tell them, I said, you know, the more time you put in preparing yourself for a shot that you can do, the better shots you're going to hit. So you have to understand and prepare yourself for each one that you're going to hit and understand what you want to do. And in that practice time, you have to start taking those shots and repeat those motions. You know, I have a whole system that I built with, with practices from all the different areas, and, and it's all based on drills. And they do drills mm-hmm. for a reason, and the drills are there so that they can run through those uh each individual drills, and that builds, you know, the pieces together for the swing. But they're there so they can get comfortable with what they're doing. But, yeah, I I think so with the flight monitors that we have now with my more advanced players. I'll I'll, I'll get it out. I'll let them hit some shots. I'll let them see what the numbers are. Um, I'll get a little bit more detailed in the video analysis with the numbers that I use and get them to understand movements between horizontal and vertical movement and those types of things. But I think – because their scoring dictates it, they need to be a little bit more precise in what they're doing with their contact and their shot making and also the short game shots in order to stay at that advanced level. Yeah, well said, by the way. Um, John, I think along the lines of what Pete's talking about here with your more advanced player, you can be a little bit, I think, more aggressive in, in your coaching and your, and your teaching abilities. Um, with this particular player, first off, they're going to understand, you know, as I mentioned earlier about the lingo, they're going to understand a little bit more about what you're talking about, especially if you get into um, discussing, uh, you know, ball flight, not necessarily ball flight laws, but but angle of attack and that sort of thing um, with the players. They're going to understand, have a better grasp. Um, you know, what are some things that, that you can think of maybe that we, you can add to the discussion that you're going to want to make sure that the advanced player really focuses on more so than what the other two categories would be? Uh, Probably it becomes even more important as you get better, as Pete said and touched on short game. Uh, The more precise around the greens, the more precise on the green, the more precise within 125 yards, the better. And when you look at, say, a Zach Johnson and some of the other not as long players on the PGA Tour. This is what differentiates them from other people who may be a little bit slight in build or not as physically strong as somebody else. That That's huge. And then to expand upon what Pete does, and I, and I know he's done this, I've seen him do it with some people, is you've got to take this technical skill and merge it into some type of consequential practice. Uh, drills are fantastic, but you can't go out on the golf course thinking drills all the time. There's been very few people who have been uh, successful that way. Right. What the great players do that the advanced player can take a page out of their book is to put your game under pressure on the practice facility, take it out on the golf course and play many games with yourself, uh, very similar to the beginner golfer. Say you're starting at 100 yards. Well, now instead of hit, say, a three wood 100 yards, you're very capable of hitting a wedge or a gap wedge or even a lob wedge that far. What are you going to do? What, what are the expectations and what are the consequences if you don't meet those expectations? This helps you prepare for those stressful situations you may find yourself in time to time on the golf course. So now not only are you better physically prepared, you're going to be better mentally prepared as well. 
Right. Is this a player, guys, and, and feel free to, to just sort of an open forum here uh, for either one. Is this a player, again, going back to my other question about um, sort of balance between range and course time, is this a player that maybe you would like to see um, spend more of time in your sessions out on the golf course working on certain areas that, that maybe they still need tweaking on because they're ball striking by this point. If they're an advanced player, they're playing better than, than uh, bogey golf more often. I'm not saying they don't get a bogey here and there. Of course, they all do, but um, they're playing more consistent golf. Um, is this a player that you want to work out more on the course and, and, and have less range time um, during your sessions? Uh, John, what about you? It's based on what they're telling me they need, or at least they feel they need. I also base it strategically on what their statistics are saying because they, they let's face it, the, the range, the practice area is a laboratory until you get it out in the real world and let it sink or swim. You're really not going to know how that laboratory rat's going to act. So the statistics mm-hmm. are sort of the story behind that. And if the statistics are saying, hey, we're having trouble off the tee, then yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put you on the tee more often and, and just give you reasons to hit tee shots and w- different ways to hit tee shots. If it's around the green and the statistics say you're always long and left, well, let's put you long and left and give you more of that simulation uh, so you can start not only achieving it physically, but the more you put yourself in that moment, you hear it from all the great players, regardless of the sport, they want to have the ball. They want to be the person to take the last shot or be the last person up to hit the home run. The golfer's got to be ready to do the same thing, be in that position to hit that shot for them to achieve what they're looking to achieve, whether it's reducing their handicap, shooting their all-time low score, winning a a club tournament or a local amateur tournament. It doesn't matter. It's still all the same. You've got to put yourself in that moment. Right. Um, well said, guys. Um, we, we've got about 10, maybe just a little shy of 10 minutes here, and, and I thought this would be um, an interesting. So I'll, I'll give you guys a few minutes each, and uh, Pete, I'll, I'll go to you, and then John, uh, I'll let you finish up. But um, I, I want you to, because we're on, the, I said, the, the cusp of the, the U.S. Open, of course, this weekend uh, up at Oakmont, from a beginning, intermediate, and advanced player, and I'm talking amateur only here, um, what should each of them, just maybe a quick synopsis of each of each level, what should they be looking at? Um, obviously, you want them to enjoy the tournament, but what should they be looking to take away um, from the tournament at each of those different levels? What should they be looking at and focusing on when they're watching this? Uh, Pete, I'll let you go. You know, I think... So begin. What a- I tell all levels of players that, you know, I want you to watch how meticulous they are in how they set up, how they go about looking at different shots around the greens. Uh, when they're faced with a situation, what do you see them doing? Um, how are they looking at a particular shot? You know, so many times you'll watch them, they're just off the green, and you watch them step up on the green, and they're looking around the green, and, you know, what do you think they're doing in those situations? And and how can you benefit from what you see? But I think for the most part, I, I like them to see, look how patient they are. Um, they're, they're playing in a, in a decent amount of time. Now, this is the U.S. Open because that could slow it down a bit. But they're, sure. they're very meticulous in what they do. Um, they, they do the same routines over and over again. And so you can really benefit by just watching their mannerisms, watch how they move, watch how they walk. 
Um, you can always tell players who are playing good versus ones that aren't playing good by just by the way mm-hmm. they're, they're moving around the golf course. So try to look at the mannerisms. I always like them to, if you can get to the tee boxes, watch how particular they are with what they do. I mean, they do the same thing every time. The caddy comes up or right. doesn't, you know, it's always the same routine. And I think that puts them in a level of comfort that allows them to do what they want to do. And I also said, now watch them too when you find a situation where a player is going to hit a shot but stops. They start all over yeah. again. They don't right. just say, oh, hey, that guy distracted me. Let me go hit this. Some of them will even right. put the club back in the bag and start the whole situation over again. So I want them just to watch their total mannerisms and how they conduct themselves. And I, I think it, it's really a good eye-opener to see just exactly what they're doing, how they're playing, and what they foresee and look at, um, not only when they have good shots, but also when they're in trouble. I always tell them, you know, a, a double bogey is a bad shot followed by a dumb one. That's usually what happens. Right. <laughs> and so you have to watch yourself when you hit it out of play. Watch how they maneuver themselves back into play. Um, there's very few exceptions with the dailies and, and the bubbles who will, you know, try to knock it through the tree instead of, you know, just putting one back in the fairway. But I, right. I think if they can really pay attention to what they're doing, I, I think, you know, from every level, I think it just helps them to understand that, you know, when you're going to play golf <clears throat> on a good, consistent level, there are reasons why they play like they do, and it's not always because of how they swing. It's how they prepare themselves. Right. Well said. Um, you know, John, one of the things that the, the, the group of boys said to me yesterday, and, and particularly the, the intermediate golfer, that one thing that he picked up on um, was that he noticed that, you know, the professionals make it look so easy. Their swings – um, you know, seems so effortless. It's very smooth and silky in many ways. You know, there's not a lot of jerky movements, um, you know, with, with the players. And, you know, he was just in awe of how far they were able to and how accurate they were able to be. So, you know, when you're talking to your students this week, uh, obviously you want them, number one, to have fun and enjoy uh, the U.S. Open uh, tournament. You don't want them to – it's not a, a necessarily a lesson period. But um, is there anything that you would maybe encourage them to, to notice – uh, while they're watching the turret, pay attention to, to that maybe they could incorporate in their games or take a, a lesson, if you will, uh, by watching what the pros do, as Pete uh, suggested? i tell you what, Pete, I'm going to say ditto, 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 ditto <laughs> on everything you just said because I can't, I can't really say it differently right. and, and emphasize no. it much better than what Pete did. Um, the The one – the one word I always, or the phrase I like to use is decision-making. It goes back to what Pete said. It's not a, watch how they handle adversity. They handle it better because they've been in the moment more often. And they've got what I call this file cabinet full of experiences that they can pull upon. They can just pull a file out anytime they, they want to cover almost any condition situation they've been in and that's why they are more cool calm collected and the ones that aren't you'll tell you, you'll see it you'll see it in their body language as pete said the the I, i've got a high school a potential high school golfer i'm working with now and he asked a similar question hey, i'm watching the u.s open this weekend it's father's day i'm going out to play golf with my dad and mm-hmm. so forth and any ideas and it give me some clues as to what to look for and I basically told them, if they're all, everybody on TV is going to look like they do things a whole lot easier than you. 
what I want you to imagine is all the experiences they have that you haven't and catalog some of those things that you think are going to be more apropos to you right now to get you where you want to be, which is making the high school team. And right. he sort of looked at me puzzled, and I said, you know, it, it, physically, you're a good athlete. We have to get your athleticism more efficient hitting the golf ball, but really pay attention to what these people don't do, not necessarily what they do. It's what they don't do that adds up, and they don't do it because of all these experiences they have in their brain, their filing cabinet. And if you can find one or two things out of the weekend as you watch that you can emulate, that you can put into your play, even as as not so advanced as you are, that's going to help you not only short-term but long-term. Right. Well said, guys. Uh, um you know, there's a reason why I enjoy having uh, both of you on the program is, is not just, you know, your experiences, but um, obviously that, that plays a major factor. But, you know, you, you really, um, you know, keep it real in, in the discussion. And, you know, you don't add a lot of fluff. And, and that's one thing, I, you know, I don't want in the program is I, I want to make sure that we're giving people the best information that we can based on our experiences um, and, and in order to help, you know, one of the things that was a little bit disturbing talking to these guys yesterday was, uh, again, and, and I, you know, there's a whole, that could be a whole conversation on another show, but really a lot of the misunderstandings that they had um, just from, because they're, they're going by what they see. You know, Pete, you mentioned about, you know, being able to take away from, from watching these guys on, on the TV this weekend. It's a shame, really, that we don't see more of the bad shots televised. Obviously, for editing purposes and for enjoyment, they're going to show more of the better shots. But it would be interesting to see um, more of the players, when things don't go their way, how they handle themselves. Um, because I think most amateur golfers would be surprised um, that uh, you know the professionals certainly uh, are going to do things a little bit differently, but they have bad shots as well, and I think it would make – you know, the amateur golfers feel a little bit better if they knew that, you know, Rory McIlroy or, or uh, you know, Zach Johnson or somebody else uh, hits it in the woods or, you know, skips the pond or, um, you know, gets in a, in a hazard of some sort uh, just as easily as they can. So, it you know, these are things I wish that a lot of the uh, amateur golfers would see more of on TV um, just to give them an understanding that it happens even to the best golfers in, in, in the world. So, um Guys, as always, thank you very much, John and, and Pete, for, for being on the Coach's Corner panel. Great discussion tonight. I enjoyed that. And uh, I hope the golfers tuning in uh, and also the coaches and, and other uh, teaching pros that are tuning into the show. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the conversation as well. So thank you very much, guys, and uh, enjoy the U.S. Open this weekend. And happy Father's Day. You bet. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having us on. It's always a pleasure, and, and it's great what you're doing. It's, uh, it's great for the game, and, and uh, we really appreciate what you do. Well, it, you know, thank you. It, it, yeah, thank you. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, go ahead, Ted. I was just going to say, you know, as I've mentioned many, many times, I enjoy doing this for a myriad of reasons. I think it's great that we can, you know, come together as, as a group in and, and these discussions and talk about some of the uh, the things that are going on and, and some of the things that, that people are struggling with. Um, you know, we always try to do this in our day-to-day lives as, as teachers and coaches and that, but um, sometimes it's good to get other perspectives in there and other discussions uh, and, and give not just the, the, 
the average golfer out there an opportunity, but give some of the others in our industry an opportunity to learn um, from others. Uh, many times I've had much feedback on the program from other uh, golf professionals and other coaches and that that said, boy, you know, I like what so-and-so said, you know, last week. Uh, I'm going to incorporate that into to my teaching or, you know, I, I didn't realize that, especially some of our younger guys out there. So um, that's really why I do it is to, to help one another. Um, but, John, thank you as well for, for coming on the show. I always appreciate your input. Well, thanks, Ted. And, and again, Pete, thank you. It's it's good to hear your voice and look forward to seeing you again soon. And I can't agree more with Pete, Ted, that this particular medium provides, I'm going to call it a more simplistic look at things. There's so much information out there and there's so many numbers and positions and things that you can and can't do and so forth. And I think what this arena this environment brings out is the capability of anything's possible and it doesn't have to necessarily fit into a box your triangle can fit into the box if you want it to you just have to be creative enough to do it and pull the resources together to do it and certainly have been doing that for a while and appreciate the opportunity to share that experience with you well, I, I'm uh, again. Thank you, gentlemen, for for your kind words, and always uh, you always have a uh, a home here, if you will, on Golf Talk Live, and especially on the Coach's Corner panel. So, guys, have a great weekend. Thank you very much again for your time, and uh, and uh, have a great uh, a great U.S. Open. Watch uh, watch with uh, great intensity, and uh, and uh, we'll see what what happens uh, later Sunday afternoon. You bet. Thanks. It should be fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. All right, that was the uh, Coach's Corner panel. Of course, John Hughes and uh, Pete Buchanan have been on the show many, many times. Uh, I've got another guest coming on here uh, just a moment or two. I'm just going to get him uh, ready in the shoot, as they say. And, of course, I'm talking about my very special guest, Paul Castor. Uh, Paul was on the show uh, about a month ago, I guess it was. He was on the Coach's Corner panel and uh, wanted to bring him back, uh, as I did with John a few weeks back, uh, as a featured guest uh, just to talk a little bit more, give you guys a chance to know a little bit more about him and and what he's all about. And he's the uh, <clears throat> he's a, a golf coach, and he's also the uh, director of instruction at the Forsgate uh, Country Club. And before I bring him on, let me just remind everybody: uh, I wasn't on last week, so I didn't get a chance to do this. But uh, since we are on the uh, again on the cusp of a, of a major champion uh, chip, uh, I of course been running a contest this year. We started before the Masters. Uh, Billy uh, Billy Casper's son Byron Casper was on. Uh, the Thursday Eve of the Masters, we uh, introduced a, a contest here. It's called the Golf Talk Live Major Champion Couples Contest. Here's what you win, uh, and then I'll tell you how you play real quick. What you win is a one-night uh, bed and breakfast at the Hacienda Hotel in Old Town, San Diego, uh, golf for two at Salt Creek Golf Club, a uh, second night uh, at bed and breakfast at the Palm Mountain Hotel and Spa, uh, also out in the San Diego area, uh, golf for two at the Encina Golf Club, Uh, You'll also win, uh, for the two of you, lunch at the Old Town Tequila Factory, which is going to be hosted by Byron Casper. Uh, Byron, of course, is an international PGA member and instruction and, of course, son of the legendary uh, professional golfer Billy Casper. Uh, Included in that prize is going to be a copy of Billy Casper's last book, The Big Three and Me, uh, which he came on the show uh, a few years ago and talked about. Uh, so the value of the prize is, is actually inaccessible, about $1,000. Uh, airfare is not included, but you've got two nights, uh, two different uh, great locations, the Hacienda Hotel in Old Town, San Diego, and uh, the Palm Mountain Hotel and Spa uh, also there. And 
uh, a couple of great rounds of golf in there, as well as uh, lunch with with Byron Casper at the Old Town Tequila Factory. Uh, simple way to play is this. Uh, for those of you that, that have tuned in in the past, all you have to do is submit your entry, pick who you think is going to win uh, this weekend's uh, major championship out of the, the field. You've had a chance to see who the field is today. You have until Friday midnight to submit your entry. Uh, and what will happen is for every correct entry, it'll go into a draw. And then the Thursday evening after the last major, which would be the PGA Championship this year, uh, Byron will be joining me back on the show, and we're going to draw the, the name uh, of the couple and uh, and uh, announce the, the uh, prize net. So uh, submit your entries. You email it to golftalklivecontest at gmail.com. That's golftalklivecontest at gmail.com. Submit who you think by Friday midnight, which is tomorrow midnight, um, who you think is going to be the winner of this weekend's uh, major championship, the U.S. Open, of course, at Oakmont. And uh, we'll put that in the, the hat, if you will, and we'll have all the correct entries. Now, you get an opportunity, of course, for those of you that submitted for the Masters. Uh, you can also submit uh, for the uh, British Open and also the PGA Championship. You're allowed to have multiple entries, only one, of course, per, um, uh, per championship. But you had up to four uh, entries in total per, per individual and uh, would love to have you uh, participate in that. So, again, the email address to send them to, make sure you have all of your contact information there as well, your full name, address, and, and uh, full contact information as well, and submit your entry, who you think is going to win this weekend's U.S. Open by Friday midnight, which is tomorrow, and uh, June 17th, uh, to golftalklivecontest at gmail.com. So good luck, everybody, and uh, look forward to seeing some more entries. Uh, again, I mentioned uh, just a few moments ago my very special guest uh, coming on the second half of the show is Paul Castor. Uh, he's a golf coach and a director of instruction at the Forsgate Country Club, and uh, he uh, has been on the show, as I mentioned here earlier, about a month ago uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, but uh, I wanted to bring him back as a featured guest. We're going to talk about uh, a couple things, but uh, primarily talking about uh, taking your game uh, from the range or practice uh, facility, if you will, out onto the golf course. We're going to talk about some other things as well, but uh, let me bring on my very special guest, Mr. Paul Castor. Good evening, Paul. Welcome back to Golf Talk Live. Hi, Ted. Thanks Thanks so much for having me back. Well, I appreciate it, and, and as I mentioned to you guys, uh, uh, I guess it was about a month ago when you were on, uh, I wanted to have you come back on for a little bit longer period, uh, just on your own, and, and have a chance to, to talk about some different things. And, and one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, as I just alluded to, is um, we're going to talk about really how to get the, especially the average golfer. Now tonight, I don't know if you heard caught any of the earlier show, we talked about the beginning golfer, intermediate, and, and the more advanced golfers and some of the differences and, and how we would ap- approach things in our teaching methods and things like that. Um, but you wanted to talk about really um, how we can transfer, help some of the players out there transfer their practice uh, on the course, uh, or to the golf course rather, and help to improve their skills. So let's talk about that first off. Let's say with the beginning golfer, obviously it's a little bit different kettle of fish. Um, what are you looking for with the beginning golfers to, to really help them navigate their way out in the golf course? What are some things that you're trying to get them to incorporate in, in their uh, beginning? Um, I, I think when you're just starting off uh, with golf, you, there's still a lot of skill building uh, that has to be done. You know, So you're, you're still learning how to hold the golf club, how to swing it, uh, and there's a lot of technique that needs to be learned, but how to play, how to make decisions, um, things like that, you know, it's still, it's still should be part of the instruction, I think. And, and, um, you know, some of the things that I see, you know, so much are people just hitting driver on every tee, uh, that they yeah. have the opportunity to hit it. Uh, 
you know, that's kind of one example instead of uh, learning to hit a hybrid that is going to end up being like one of their, you know, favorite golf clubs for advancing the golf ball around the golf course and learning to hit that five or four hybrid off of the tee so that they get really comfortable with that, um, keeping the ball in play and not having to deal with penalty strokes and disappointment, you know, and, and then, right. <laughs> uh, you know, building, building a game around keeping, keeping the ball away from penalty situations and generating some confidence instead of, um, you know, struggling with the driver, which is the longest, uh, you know, club in your bag, obviously. And, and, harder to hit when you're just learning how to swing. Um, so that's, I think a really big one, uh, and learning how to, how to hit a basic chip, a bump and run chip around the greens. Uh, I actually have a lot of students chip with, you know, a lofted hybrid, see a lot more five and six hybrids, uh, in sets of, in sets of clubs Mm -hmm. these days. And, and I think, uh, such an easy shot and, you know, the, the the heads on those clubs are so forgiving um, that if you have somebody choke down almost to the, you know, the shaft um, and make a putting stroke with that club, they're, it's pretty hard to hit a bad, bad shot. Um, and it's just another kind of thing in their arsenal that they're going to be doing from the very beginning of their golf rather than, like, going back and learning it as they advance. Um, so I find myself teaching a lot of advanced players how to hit that shot because all I've ever done was hit wedges, uh, right. you know, around the green. Um, just, well, I think things like that. Yeah. And I think also too, um, Paul, I think one of the things, you know, that we want with the sort of differencing the, the beginning golfer is, is really the, the, we want to educate them more on, on how to prepare themselves um, to hit those good shots. In other words, with good fundamentals, good setup, good grip, that sort of thing. Whereas the more advanced players, it becomes more of a strategic. Um, they already have a pretty good understanding of, you know, if they're, if they're playing, you know, better than go, uh, bogey golf, as I indicated in, in our earlier segment um, on coach's corner, you know, if they're playing better than bogey golf, they, they have a general uh, understanding. And that's not to say we don't want to cover some of those fundamentals again, just to make as a refresher course, but we want to get more into strategy, help them think their way around a little bit uh, better on the golf course. Um, and conversely, with some of the intermediate golfers and, and even the beginning golfers, and, and as you alluded to here in your notes, and I want to make sure we, we touch on that as well, is we want to be able to um, provide them with uh, and improving their skills without allowing them to get bogged down with um, too many mechanical thoughts. And that's something that's very common with the earlier um, less seasoned golfers, the beginning golfers and even the intermediate golfers is they get too mechanical in their swing. They're thinking too many thoughts are coming in their head and they're not really focusing on just swinging the club. So how do you sort of find a balance with, with some of the students that you're working uh, with um, especially your beginning golfers that not to get too bogged down with the mechanics? Uh, I think, I think when you're first learning how to do any like motor skill, you have to think about what you're doing. Um, sure. And so, you know, if you compare compare it to like riding a bike or learning how to tie your shoes, at the very beginning, you have to be very conscious of what you're doing. And then over time, it becomes easier to the point that at some point, you just forget that you're doing it completely. That's what we want to see with the golf swing, too, hopefully. You know, I think um, you. it's just that I think the culture, honestly, the culture of golf and, and golf instruction is so strong 
in in kind of the direction of the the fix and the and the mechanical answer um, that people really believe that if they things on the golf course that they'll play better. Um, right. And you know, so I think uh, at some point you have to be able to let go of this of the conscious thought. Um, so with beginning golfers, there, it's okay to think about how do you hit a you know where are the mechanics of a putting stroke should i be making a a hinge or should i is it kind of a one lever you know action um i think to some degree thinking about that's necessary unless they're practicing an awful lot because they may not have a, you know a beginning golfer may only be on the golf course one day a week um right and they may not may not have a a lot of practice time so uh it's kind of mixing in thoughts about technique with okay so i have a lake in front of me and there's a little fairway over to the right there and i can probably lay up to the right and then hit a shot you know safely onto the green instead of big risk and kind of being able to get outside of yourself a little bit and and make those choices um instead of staying so stuck with with the kind of body body oriented thoughts you know Right. Would you would you agree that that particularly with your advanced players that you really want to get into more of that type of uh, understanding with them? You want them to to take more of a risk assessment while they're on the golf course because a lot of players, even some of the advanced players, get out there and like you said, they want to take a chance and try to hit it over the lake uh, and maybe less forgiving as a, as opposed to they don't want to necessarily bail out uh, as some people might put it out to the right where where that safe landing area is they want to try and go for it and obviously a myriad of, of issues can come to you know including a bad score on that particular hole um, so is that something that you try to um, work with some of your better players that you're working with uh, is to get them to to understand sort of a risk assessment and and looking at the whole picture and then making a game plan from there Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I teach a, a class called lowest score wins. It's based on a book that a couple of friends wrote, uh, Dave, Bar- Dave Wedzik and Eric Barzeski. Um, mm-hmm. so understanding stats and, and kind of the probabilities of golf, I think are really important for a good player for anyone. Uh, but you know, I, we talk, I talk a lot with better players, especially, but also, kind of inter- intermediate or, or, you know, relative beginners about what their expectations should be. Um, because, you know, they see golf on TV and just a continuous kind of highlight reel of great shots. And they think that that's what they should be aspiring to. Um, and so a lot of times I'll ask somebody, for example, like how, how close do you think the average PGA tour player hits their sandwich to the target, you know, to the, to, to a flag and pretty common answers are like five, eight feet. And the actual answer is like 17 feet. Right. And, you know, so once you start to understand that uh, even the great, you know, the greatest players in the world aren't that precise um, and you, you have to understand what your, you know, the window of uh, for a four iron is versus a window for a seven iron versus a window for a sand wedge, what your, what your shot pattern is um, and how to kind of take that and apply it to your target, um, you know, you start to see scores uh, go down because people aren't playing for perfection anymore. You know, 
um, better players really right. believe that they can hit the shot they see in their head. They, um, you know, they they think that they're going to they're going to do exactly what they want to do. And well, they have that and, com- yeah, they have that confidence. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of times that's just not it's not realistic. I mean, I you know I know if I hit a I'm still an okay player, and if I hit a green with a four iron, I'm pretty pleased. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Right. You know, I think it's some of that for sure is educating them on what really good golfers do, what reasonable expectations are, um, how to game plan based on that, how to aim at, you know, the fatter part of greens, even if you have a wedge or a nine iron in your hand, because we all, you know, pull shots or do things like that, you know, and um, once they start thinking strategically, uh, scores go down you know, I think quite a bit and, um, you know, the game gets a lot more fun because you're not putting so much pressure on yourself to hit, you know, perfect shots all the time. Exactly. You know, I, I mentioned something in the, in the last segment on, on coach's corner as we were wrapping up uh, just before you came on. And, you know, I, I said that, you know, during this weekend, of course, you're going to see um, for the most part, you're going to see some good golf and you might see a few bad shots here and there. Obviously you're going to see a little bit more than you're traditionally in, 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 um, uh, some of your regular tournaments, just because the conditions are going to be much tougher. Um, so a lot of the players are going to have some, you know, slick greens to deal with and, and, uh, you know, difficult uh, rough and so forth. But, you know, I, I really wish, and I understand the reason why they do it for editing purposes and stuff like that, but I really wish that the average golfer could see a better uh, example. Like you just talked about, you know, with, with the wedge play and that, that, you know, these guys are not always hitting it in within five feet. I mean, we're seeing the best shots out there. Um, but we're not seeing their full 18, uh, you know, whole round. So we're not seeing, you know, when, when Phil might, you know, hit it out into to the right rough or he might hit it into the woods or, or something like that, which I know is not going to happen very often. But, you know, I, I wish the average amateur could get a better understanding of just, you know, that these guys can hit some bad shots along the way and not just see all of their good shots. And I think it would be a little bit better, um, more relatable for the average golfer, I think, uh, and make it easier for them to understand. I totally agree. I think that we're seeing the great shots because that's who's leading the tournament and they're playing well above their statistical, you know, norms. I mean, it's um, how many PGA tour players play their whole career and, and are relatively pleased to get like four or five wins. Right. So right. When, when they're playing that well, um, they're, they're playing way outside of where they normally play. And, yeah, it's not representative, uh, I guess, is, you know, what we're saying, right? I mean, I think um, the really good rounds, that I, something I say to a lot of my students is the really good rounds that I've played in my life, you know, I've shot 29 a couple of times for nine holes, I've shot low numbers in eight, you know, for 18 holes. Uh, it usually, you know, hap- I, I usually played really well because I overcame a mistake or a bad shot, not because I didn't have any. Right. Um Right. You capitalized on your misses and, and, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, you're going to hit some, some good shots no matter what round you're in, but you're going to more often not hit some not so good shots. And it's how you handle um, those difficult situations. That's why, you know, so many people say golf mimics life in so many ways. And that's true, really, if you think about it, because, you know, you're met with different challenges on the golf course, much like you are in, in real life. And it's how you handle that. You know, I, I was mentioning earlier, uh, again, in the segment, 
um, that I had the opportunity yesterday while I was preparing for tonight's show uh, to sit down with with uh, five youngsters uh, from uh, most of them from Indiana. They're all related. Uh, aging, uh, age was ranging from uh, 10 to 19 was the oldest. And uh, just, you know, sort of picking their brains and what they looked. Most of them were beginning golfers, but there was an intermediate in there. And, you know, what was interesting was they never really thought about how golf really kind of does mimic life in so many ways and, and how out in the golf course, when you're faced with these challenges, they're very similar to challenges that you might, you know, meet uh, in, in everyday life. And they never looked at it from that perspective. So that it, it gave them a whole different appreciation of, of you know, golf as a, as a game, uh, as opposed to just sort of chasing a white ball around and, and, and getting it into the few, fewest strokes possible around, uh, you know, 18 holes. They, they looked at it from a much different perspective, and, and I was glad I was able to, to leave that um, with them. Um, Paul, I want to talk about, real uh, as we move on here, uh, an interesting uh, statement, I guess, if you will, that you put into the notes. Um, you wanted to talk about needing to separate training uh, from playing, and in quotations you've got beside it, we train so we can trust, and, and you talked about that a little bit. You know, obviously we want to prepare uh, so that we, we gain that confidence um, and, and able to navigate. Um, I want to read one other thing, and then I want you to get your thoughts on it here. Um, obviously, most players um, try to play golf with, with a lot of swing thoughts, uh, again, working on mechanical thoughts and so forth. Um, why doesn't that work on a long-term basis? Certainly in, in certain situations, uh, especially for beginning golfers, you know, you've you got to be thinking of certain things uh, to, as you're understanding and, and developing your golf game. But as you progress on to a more advanced player, why is that a danger uh, and why do we need to separate our training time uh, from our playing time? Why is that important? Um, I think I think it's the way our brains work. Uh, I think sometimes playing with a new swing thought can be comforting um, because it's something to focus you on, uh, focus your mind on while you're playing. And, and since you may not have been playing very well recently, if you have something that you're thinking about that's helping your ball striking, it can actually it, it could be it, it can help you hit the ball better and it can also take your mind off of the fact that you weren't hitting it so well recently um right <laughs> you know but the fact is that when you really play well you are in a state of kind of flow you know flow i've i've been there uh i think most most of us who've played our best rounds you know people say it's feels really easy. It doesn't really matter whether you're a scratch player or a tournament player or a, you know, a 10 handicap. My, the students who play their best, who I talk to kind of say the same stuff. And it's, they get into this place where they're not really thinking at all. And they're just looking at targets, seeing the shot that they have to hit. They take all of the factors into consideration and then they, they play the shot and it's, you know, compare it to a pitcher uh, playing, uh, you know, playing in a, game and, and trying to throw strikes um, or thinking about curveballs or sliders or whatever, that pitcher is not thinking about his mechanics in the heat of the moment while he's trying to throw those curveballs. He knows how to throw right. a curveball. Um, he's doing what he knows how to do, and he's able to kind of get into a state of just kind of free motion and, and uh, execution, I guess. So, you know, the times that I've played great in my life, it felt like time stood still almost. Uh, things mm -hmm. were very, you know, quiet. And uh, you don't get there by 
having a lot of mechanical thoughts. Um, so I do really believe that uh, you have to go through phases of learning kind of where you're, you learn the new skill, but then you've learned it. Hopefully you've learned it in a way that it's, you can apply it on the golf course and then hopefully in competition and then forget that you really ever learned it in the first place. You know, that you're right. You don't have to think it, about it anymore. Right. It gets built into your psyche in a, in a sense. And, and, uh, it's sort of every day. And, and, and that's so true. You know, um, Paul, one of the things I think that, um, you know, through time and effort, this is why I think a lot of amateurs don't understand when, you know, if you're going to go through the trouble of, of connecting with a, with a golf coach or, or, a, you know, a teach professional for lessons, one of the biggest mistakes I think a lot of amateurs make is they'll go for the lesson, but then they don't, you know, follow up and, and practice what they've learned in that lesson and they don't put it to use and, and, and really focus on and, and whether through drills or whatever. And then they go back for the next lesson, maybe a few weeks later, depending on, on what the schedule is. And they've really not retained anything from the previous one because they really haven't put it into motion. And that's a big issue as well. So, you know, how do we, how do we sort of crack that nut, if you will, with some of the players out there? I mean, time is obviously, um, you know, difficult for some people, but obviously there's things that we can do away from the golf course at home drills, things that we can do, um, with some of the members at Forest Gate, what do you try to do to encourage them if they don't or can't spend a lot of time on the practice range? Um, what do you try to do to get them if they're coming in for lessons to make sure that they're working on some of the fundamentals or some of the key issues that you've, you've addressed? Uh, I teach, I teach members and non-members and I think, uh, uh, you know, we talk about what their schedules look like and how much time they want to, they can devote to, to improving and, and the fact that when you go for a golf lesson, it isn't just the information, you know, it's right. You have to be able to kind of take that information and turn it into a, a motor skill. Right. And mm-hmm. that happens through repetition and feedback. And um, so we talk, talk about that process a little bit. And then, um, you know, I think that you run into some people who really don't like practicing on the range. Um, but for the most part, people are willing to do some work, uh, and I think you can do a lot of good work on the course too. So, um, you know, depending on what somebody's preference is, how much time they have uh, in their schedule, um, you can create a practice plan where uh, they're scoring their practice uh, on the range, learning the skill that you just, that we've just worked on. Um, so uh, say, for example, you're trying to teach somebody how to, you know, uh, shallow the club out and swing it kind of uh, from in to out or on plane. Um, teach them how to set up a, a pool noodle that's going to help them do that and, and then put a, an alignment rod out uh, on the on the range a few feet ahead of them and have them try to get the ball on one side or the other of the rod um, while they're missing that pool noodle. And for their practice for each ball based on you know, did it feel like the contact was flush? Did the ball start to the right or the left of the stick? Did I transfer mm-hmm. my weight? Or was I on balance? You know, was I balanced when I when I hit the shot? Um, do sets of five balls and do five sets of five and see what your average score is and then track that over time. And suddenly they're, they're actually competing against themselves, uh, trying to learn a new skill 
and it's a lot more engaging and it's like measurable. They can track, you know, which I think is really important for, for practice to be effective. So, um, creating little, you know, practice plans like that, that's, you know, 25 golf balls, but if somebody's going through a full shot routine, um, Mm -hmm. every time they hit one of those shots, it can actually take a fair amount of time and it gives them a chance to reflect on what they're doing. Um, and you know, I think it's pretty, it works pretty well. Uh, I think going out on the golf course and, uh, and working on things is also really helpful too. And you can, there are ways to do that. Um, you know, that are, I think, uh, useful for transferring that new motion into kind of the playing environment, you know? Um, so that we, we do right. that also. And, right. And, and you're talking about now what we're, we're, we're talking about really here. And, and I want you just to sort of briefly explain to the listeners out there. Um, so they understand what we're talking about here is we're, we're talking about really, um, you know, block practice versus transfer training. So in other words, you want to set up as you, you know, talked about a setting up a station using the pool noodles as an example, uh, and a, a shallow, uh, you know, a, a rod or something out uh, a little further out so that they can use that as a guide for their target. Um, explain very quickly, if you can, or briefly, um, first off, what block, what you mean by block practice and then transfer training and how each it sort of applies and, and, and what people need to understand about both. Sure. Yeah. I didn't come up with those ideas that uh, I've spent some time with uh, Rick, Rick Jensen um, who's a very famous sports psychologist and a great guy. And uh, I'm one of, I've gone through his certification programs and it's basically the ideas of, uh, uh, you know, that block practice is kind of the, the practice that most of us do. Uh, most you, you see most people doing on a driving range where they sure. hit a bucket of balls and they hit at the same target with the same club and, you know, it feels very good to be able to hit a whole bucket of or half of a bucket of seven irons to the 150 um, and be repetitious like that, except that that really doesn't bear any resemblance to golf. Um, right. And so, you know, we have to do that kind of practice at first to learn how to do, you know, how to swing the golf club in some way. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm trying to change my motion – um, shallow the club out, start the ball to the right of the stick, you know, to use that example, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that would be block practice. Um, if you just did that, it wouldn't end up transferring to the course. Probably you have to be able to kind of take that, that concept and go out on the golf course, find a way of working on it on the golf course, probably when you're not trying to shoot a score. And then, you know, get comfortable with, with hitting shots on the course using that concept. And then eventually, uh, take it into play, try to shoot a score, uh, you know, applying what you've learned and through going through these, by going through these stages, you're developing a motor pattern that eventually becomes permanent or relative, you know, relatively speaking. So, um, the last step would be if you're a competitive player, being able to go out in competition and, and hit shots and not see the miss that you were seeing before that was the result of the old swing pattern. Um, so 
carrying it through those kind of those stages. Right. And and one of the I think and and I'm I'm sure you'd agree with this. I think one of the the problems that we see with a lot of especially the higher handicap golfers and and the less um experienced golfers get into that mode if you will in, in practice where as you put it here in your notes um sort of rapid fire practice you know they're just sort of raking and, and hitting balls after balls as you said you know seven iron um hitting it comfortably to 150 yards but it's not really resembling um you know real course uh, situation and you know i like how you put it here um that it's it's really not helping somebody's anxiety um you know, and, and they're not really getting real gains um, by doing that. And you want them to be able to get that. You want them to be able to work on that new skill and you, you want them to pick out their target and, and execute the shot and movement successfully. And then you want them to repeat it, but maybe using a different uh, target. So you, you want to kind of mix it up a little bit so it's not getting repetitive. And I think that also alleviates the boredom for a lot of people out in the range too. Would you agree that, that a lot of them get out there and they get too repetitive and they lose interest, and, and that's part of the reason I think a lot of them don't want to uh, spend much uh, time or effort in practice is they don't know how to practice with a purpose. Oh, very yeah, very much so. I think um, I think people go practice, and then it doesn't work on the dry, on the course, and then they wonder why they practice. Um, yeah. Also, so I think uh, it's it's how you practice, and and you know if you find a way of making the the practice a little bit more effective, you're going to see gains from it. But um, Mike Bender has an amazing range um, at his academy down in, in just outside of Orlando, and he's got this wedge mm-hmm. range um, where, you know, the players have, I think it's like eight or ten targets inside of 100 yards, and, uh, you know, they compete for who can hit the fewest number of shots and hit each one of those targets. And I think they're like five by five or four by four. So, you know, the players are basically hitting one shot at a time to different targets, resetting, going through a full routine. Um, and that's basically what we're talking about. If, if you're learning, you know, how to do something new in your golf swing and all you do is the rapid fire repetition, it'll make you feel better it'll make you, it'll probably calm you down because you'll start to see the ball fly well. Um, but if, if you don't apply that in a kind of game, like golf, like situation, um, then it's not going to meet, be meaningful or, you know, transfer to the golf course. So once you feel like you've, you've made some progress and you're, you know, you're starting to see the ball go high and maybe it's drawing a little bit, that's what you're trying to do. Then you mm-hmm. do, absolutely need to start moving your targets around on the range if you're not going to go out on, onto the golf course and, and do it. Um, and, you know, some of that depends on, you know, if you're, if you're a member at a club, it's easier to go out on the course um, right. and practice and, and kind of treat that like your, your practice ground. Um, but, you know, being able to hit, hit a five iron with the same movement, uh, to a different target going through a full pre-shot routine, full kind of intensity, like you're on the golf course and then switching and doing and hitting another shot will really start to give you the feeling that you can execute it. Um, and so that's kind of the transfer process. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think that really 
for a lot of golfers out there, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I had the, the opportunity to sit down with, with five youngsters yesterday and I call them youngsters because they are compared to me, but um, you know, they, some of the questions and, and we're going to get into this a, a little bit here, um, particularly with, with the intermediate golfer, he was the better of the group and he's played a little bit more and has a, a better understanding, but there were still some things that, that, you know, he was confused about. And we're going to talk about that as we, we, as we move in here in a few moments into talk about uh, game planning and that. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, you point out here, which is, is very, very difficult, I think, is getting the, the average golfers out there to, to transfer, if you will, from that mentality of, you know, sort of just raking the balls and that. And, and that's a, I, I think that's been a hard thing for the golf industry to do is because, you know, we, we've come out with so many great, uh, you know, ways for, for the average golfer to, to be out there and different games for them to play and that. But for some reason, they still sort of revert back to that, that rake and, and hit ball mentality. How, how do we break that cycle? What, do we, what can we do that we haven't already done uh, in your mind um, differently? I mean, you know, obviously some of the better players understand the value, as you just pointed out. They see the results from some of the, the, the training that you're providing. Um, but there's a lot of golfers out there. Is it that they're not getting the results fast enough and are just not relying or don't have the patience to go through some of these changes? What, what's your take on that? Oh, I think it's a bun, uh, several different factors. I think uh, the repetition feels really good. Um, sure. Golf is hard. And so if you can, if you can get to a point where you're repeating something very difficult and seeing that golf ball go where you want it to go and, you know, the contact is good, that feels really good. And it's, and you see it even on PGA tour ranges, you know? Sure. So I think that, you know, tour players are getting to where they, they are and achieving what they're achieving in a lot of cases, not practicing in the most efficient way either. You know, it's just that sure. they have lots of gifts. Um, but I think that, you know, some of it is human nature. Some of it is, I think, is how the ranges are set up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you if you have a mat with a with a ball tray right next to, uh, you know, where a right hander would would tee up a, a golf ball, um, and you pour your bucket of balls into that ball tray it's that the range is set up for you to rake and hit. Um, Right. So I think that to some degree you have to change that. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not pretending that I know what the answer to that is. Uh, But I think that, (laughs) you know, I think it definitely is partly the the issue. Um, I think, you know, offering lots of different targets um, on the range and, um, you know, ways to score your practice and encourage if there were signs on the range on, on most ranges that said, uh, you know, something along the lines of like hit 10 balls with your driver between, you know, these two poles and count how many you get in between them just as a suggestion, it could, sure. you know, frame practice differently for people. Um, and then they would start thinking about how, what they're doing in a different way. Um, because that, feels pretty good if you can get six or seven drivers out of 10, you know, uh, in between a 30 yard fairway on the range, then you're doing okay by, you know, by most, you know, most standards. So, um, I think, I think those are the, the issues there. And I, 
I think that a lot of golfers are kind of perfectionists, you know, and we, so being able to do that repetition feels really good. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm not somebody who's done a lot of that in my, in my life also. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, I, I've got to raise my hand on that too, uh, Paul, to be honest. I mean, I've, we, we've all been guilty about it, but I I think the thing is, as, as, you know, those of us in the, in the golf industry, like you and I are, and, and many of the other guests on the show, you know, we have a general understanding, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, you know, if you're doing a quick warm up or something before a round, sometimes you you have limited time. You know, it's okay to do that just to warm up and that. But in a full blown practice session, you you have to do it as I said earlier with the with the purpose. And I think a lot of the amateur golfers out there uh, aren't really practicing with the purpose. Um, something else that you're a big proponent of, of course, is is sort of keeping score um, of your practice and, and keeping your stats. Uh, uh, and you you mentioned a program here called ShotbyShot.com. Uh, which is also available, and we'll read that again as as we go. But um, you know that's important too, is, is sort of keeping track of of your practice sessions as well, keeping some stats. Um, one of the questions that was posed to me yesterday by the intermediate golfer, his name was Michael, and he was 17 year old, and he asked me. He said, you know, one of the biggest issues, and, and this sort of falls into this next category of game planning. Um, so we'll we'll hold off on that, but just I'll pose the question now, and then we can talk about that. Um, a little bit more um, as well. But one of the questions that he had is he, he doesn't always know what club to select. You know, he, he has a general idea of what he hits a distance with his clubs, but not really a very accurate. Um, so this is where this sort of comes in with the shot by shot, correct? Um, format of, of keeping stats. So you understand the distances that your clubs are doing. How can, you know, not everybody has the, the ability to get out there and, and you know, measure or has uh, a laser fi- a range finder, that sort of thing. And, you know, you can certainly get out on, on uh, the ranges, but unless you get right in line with the, with the, um, uh, the distance markers, um, it's not always 100% accurate. So what are some suggestions that you can do for, for people? to What stats should they be keeping? What they should be looking at during their practice uh, out in the range or, or out on the golf course? What should they be doing, and, and how does the ShotByShot.com uh, program work? So there, um, I use ShotByShot with my my client. Um, it doesn't actually tell you how far you hit. It doesn't it doesn't allow you to keep a record of how far you hit clubs. What it actually allows you to do is uh, it gets it allows the average player to get basically tour level. Uh, stats on their skills. So proximity to the hole with their irons, with pitching, with chipping, sand play, um, putting stats that are pretty much exactly like the putting stats that PGA Tour players have. So the the great thing about the program is that um, it's 20 years old and and the body of data is very deep. It's like 250,000 rounds of golf in there. Um, Hmm. And Peter Sanders, who owns the company, also updates it with shot link data from the PGA tour. So you, oh, wow. you can put your data in, um, enter your stats while you're playing, say whether you hit the green, whether you missed mm-hmm. the fairway, was it in a bad spot? What did you have? No shot. You know, when you missed the fairway, um, how many putts did you have? And, and the distance of your first putt. And once you put all that information in there, uh, after about five rounds, you have a very reliable, uh, set of you know uh, handicaps for each one of your skill areas, whether it's um, you know driving, chipping, sand play, putting, and so he's able to handicap 
you know, each one of those areas and say, based on all the data that I've got, you're putting like a tour player, but you're driving it like a, you're driving the golf ball, like a 12 handicap. Um, right. So for a, a, a coach it's extremely useful because, um, most people don't, aren't totally objective about what they need to be working on. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, we come to golf lessons mostly wanting to work on full swing, uh, right. generally, I think. And so if you can get somebody to, you know, start using this program, it's very, very useful in terms of exposing the things that might actually really help them score a lot better uh, uh, in a short period of time. Yeah, it help, obviously it's helping, like you said, from a coach's standpoint, it's helping you very quickly um, to be able to identify where they're having the trouble issues in their golf game. It's not always, you know, this was something too when I had my conversation with these young uh, gentlemen yesterday, um, you know, and I asked them if you had the opportunity to speak with, uh, you know, a PGA coach or a PGA teacher professional, you know, what would be some of the questions that you would ask them? And it was interesting because it was very much, even though most of them, other than the one, uh, as I said, was a more of an intermediate player, uh, the others being more novice and, and more beginning type players, um, really asked a lot of the same question, you know, how do I hit the ball further? You know, um, how do I hold the club? What clubs do I select? You know, it was all sort of generally the same questions that we hear from some of the, the older players that we work with from time to time, whether it be, you know, club members or, or uh, you know, if you're working at a resort or something, uh, a lot of people come in with very similar questions. And, you know, something like you're describing here with uh, shotbyshot.com uh, is now they're able to identify by using a tool like that, uh, able to identify and, and help the person that they're working with in, in your case um, have a better understanding of where some of their trouble areas are and gives you an idea of where to start uh, on, on working a program with them. Absolutely. It also gives them an idea of how they should prioritize their time practicing, um, which is, I think goes back to what we were talking about before about mm-hmm. how do you create a practice plan and, you know, take advantage of the precious time that we've got. And um, so that's why I really, I, I, kind of uh, promote it with my my students because it helps me be more more efficient help them the most I can um, because I can't be out on the golf course with all of them and and it helps them take advantage of of their time and we all have other things going on in our lives so if you don't want to be spending you know 10 or 15 hours a week working on every aspect of your game um, I can tell you that you know I, I don't I don't practice my full swing very much at all anymore because uh, you know I just make sure that I'm kind of staying in touch with my golf swing because my shot by shot stats tell me that I'm pretty pretty good at ball striker that's really not what I need to be focused on right. so it just it kind of frees you up prioritizes you a level of absolutely and and it gives you confidence it um, help it helped me tremendously to know that. I can I can putt extremely well uh right on a day on a day to day basis based on actual, you know, objective stats. So um but to get your distances it's it's very important to know how far you hit your clubs. Um and until you have some idea of that, uh it it's pretty tough and you feel like you're guessing a lot. So when I grew up, uh we didn't we had I think back then had laser range finders, just maybe just kind of coming along back then, but 
Um, I would go to a big park in Chicago and, you know, at the beginning of the summer would pace off, you know, a hundred yards, 150 yards and stick old shafts in the ground and then hit 10 balls with a sand wedge or, you know, pitching wedge. Um, right. And, and basically just average out all of the, the numbers so that I would have a pretty good idea of how far I was carrying golf ball. Um, now you don't really have to do that uh, if you don't want to, but it's it's not a bad exercise to go through. Um, you can, you know, there's flight scope. I teach with a flight scope, and I do that a lot with with a lot of my students. You know, we just spend an hour going through their bag um, using a, a range finder or a, the, the flight scope, which is a, a radar, um, right. to get their yardages. Yeah, and and I, I was like you, you know, old school. Um, I had to pace out when where I grew up. Of course, we had uh, a park connected to our, our school, our, our public school, and uh, sometimes on a weekend when there wasn't different sporting events, whether it be soccer or whatever, we had several soccer fields as well as baseball diamonds. And my friends and I would go out there, and and that's what we would do sometimes, uh, and and pace off, you know, like you said, 100 or 150 yards. Um, you know, we didn't have the technology that they have now to, to be able to help you do that. So, um, so you know, uh, we're, we're talking about game planning here, of course. Um, that's extremely important. You want them. Touch a little bit about that uh, in our last segment here. Um, I think it's, you know, game planning is really about uh, how you decide what to do on the golf course. Um, and it's a pretty important skill. Uh, we need to know how to hit the golf ball and um, – how to pick, but how to pick the club and how to aim at what target um, on the course is extremely important um, and can save you a lot of strokes. So uh, just an example is, you know, I, I kind of advise most of my better players to not hit a shot at a flag that is, that's kind of to the side of a green or all the way back um, unless they have a sand wedge or a gap wedge in their hand, because it, the margin for error, once you get into a longer, uh, you know, less lofted golf club, it gets to be pretty big. And, and so yeah. you're actually better off aiming toward the middle of the green. And hopefully, you know, you might miss it toward the flag. It's, it's a pretty common thing. Um, and then you end up with a ball that's on the green and it's a lot easier uh, to make sure. a putt or to get a ball down in two if you're putting than, than if you're chipping. So um, things like that, how to, how to choose yeah. targets when you're on, on tees also. And sorry. And, and I think part of the, I think also too, Paul, as you, as you touch on here and, and some of your comments, um, I think it's important for golfers to, to be realistic in their expectations as well, um, and, or certainly reasonable in their expectations. I think a lot of people get out there and, you know, they can hit a decent ball and, and sometimes they maybe get a little bit too aggressive. So when you're, you know, when you're planning for your round uh, and you should, I think even the amateurs, you know, they think, well, I'm not playing in a, in a U.S. Open or I'm not playing at the Masters or, or a tournament. Um, you know, why do I need to plan? But um, and I don't mean that you have to spend two or three hours, but you certainly need to, especially if you're playing, uh, you know, at a course with some sort of frequency and you have a familiarity of that course, I think it is a good idea to plan. You, you have a, an understanding of the greens and, and the, some of the greens that are more receptive than others and maybe where some of your hazards are a little bit more. So it makes perfect sense, I think, to you know, pre-round to, to maybe do a little planning. Um, would you agree with that? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, what I was talking about just, just uh, before this was kind of how to know what your shot zones are and how to pick targets. But, um, you know, it, it, most players who play tournament golf go into tournament rounds knowing what clubs they're going to hit off of certain tees. Um, because we kind of know that once you're in a tournament situation, you're better off not changing your your strategy based on how you're feeling or what's just happened or you know maybe you just mm-hmm. made a bogey. Um, so sticking with a strategy um, because you believe it's going to be the give you the best chance to make a score, uh, the best score that you can, uh, it's going to be the best thing you know in the long run for you. So when I play tournaments, I I you know have yardage books and you know, write down what club I want to, I want to hit and the shot that I want to play and what the target should be uh, based on where I think the tee is going to be. And doesn't, doesn't really take a, a lot of time to do that, like you said, but right. uh, it gives you the security of knowing that you, you know, this is what is a successful strategy for you uh, on that hole. Um, so it's, especially if you're playing in like a club event, um, knowing what your, your plan is before you go, out and play in that tournament is a very important thing. And, and also the, the shot by shot, uh, uh, opportunity as well gives you, um, basically affirmation of the success rate that you had during that round as well. Cause as you record that information and you're sort of formulating a game plan, if you will, going into that round, the shot by shot, um, uh, program will actually, uh, as I said, affirm, what took place out in the golf course and, and will help you to say, okay, yeah, the, you know, my game plan, you know, I successfully, you know, did 70% of, of what I wanted to do um, with success. So it gives you some, some instant feedback, if you will, after your round um, to be able to know that you're, you're making some good decisions, correct? Definitely. And it also gives you a basis for making those decisions. You know, if you've, if you have, 40 rounds and shot by shot for the last year. Some of them are tournament rounds. Some of them are, are non-competition rounds. You can actually filter the rounds and separate them and see how you perform in tournaments and how you perform in non, you know, non-tournament situations. And you can look and see what your rates of success are with certain clubs. Sure. Um, and then actually build your strategy based on what you, what you actually do well instead of what you, think you do well you know it's um good example for me is it's just strange but i am actually more accurate from 100 and i think it's you know 65 to 180 yards than i am from 75 yards um right and it's just because i you know it's that's a partial wedge uh and and i'm a, a decent ball striker so i think it's helpful for me to know that i'm uh pretty good from 180 yards and that yep. a six iron is a comfortable club for me. Um, and then I shouldn't really be worried about having to hit that club if I have to lay up um, or something along those lines. So the shot by shot program definitely helps with all of that. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. It's, you know, 75 yard is, is difficult for a lot of people. Um, and, and you want to, you want to be able to have that information. Stats are important to keep because it gives you, um, it helps with your confidence level because it gives you, uh, again, feedback 
and an understanding of where your strengths and weaknesses are. And it tells you the areas that you need to work on, but it gives you confidence in areas, like you said, whether it be putting or, or ball striking or what have you, um, it gives you that you know, good feedback and good information to be able to make some sound decisions with confidence and say, I know I can do this. Um, and, and know that when you get over the ball in that particular scenario or situation, given those shots that you are more comfortable with, it just helps to further your confidence. I, I want to ask you one final question because we got to wrap up here, but um, going into the U.S. Open, of course, uh, you've had some conversation, I'm sure, with some of the members there. Um, those that you're working with, did you give them any any tips or anything as they're watching the U.S. Open? Obviously, you want them to have fun and enjoy the tournament, um, but uh, as I asked the, the, the guys in the panel earlier, um, did you give them any sort of thoughts to think about what they should try to take away from watching the event other than just, you know, the enjoyment um, that they maybe could learn or incorporate into their uh, own game? It's a lot to do with the, the game planning aspects of, you know, what we were just talking about. I think, uh, you know, good example, what we just talked about, the 75-yard shot. Uh, sure. The average tour player um, actually misses a quarter of their greens from 75 yards. Um, so, playing to positions where you know you're going to be successful, um, keeping the ball in play and out of that rough that looks just impossible, right? Uh, I mean, right. Some of the clips that we're seeing from the rough this week are the shots that, that we're seeing people hit are pretty amazing. So um, making sure that the ball is, is in play and that the next shot you hit, you can get a golf club on the ball and not have to, punch out sideways or um, very similar to a lot of the advice I I give a lot of my students, you know, you have to choose your opportunities to take risks. Um, You have to know who you are and play the way you're playing and choose shots that um, are compatible with that uh, and, and get the ball on the green. Um, The players are not going to, you know, they're not going to be aiming at a lot of these flags. Uh, They can't because the greens are so fast. Right. And, you know, they're all excellent putters. So um, kind of a lot of the same, you know, general ideas, greens and regulation are king. Um, Mm -hmm. Making sure that you're, you're in a good position to try to make your par. I think the last time, the open was held at Oakmont. The winning score was what five over something like that. So I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and it's all about positioning. It's really getting yourself in that position to, to you know, execute your next shot, and and uh, you know, and that's really what it's all about. And, and you're right, um, Paul. I want to thank you for for coming back on again. I know you're going to be uh, stepping up for some future uh, coaches' corners as well, and uh, I look forward to having you come back on. But I, I really appreciated that, and I enjoyed having you on this evening. And, and I always try to give. Um, you know, all of the, uh, the members out there, um, whether they be uh, coaches or uh, teach professionals or entrepreneurs in the golf industry, give them an opportunity to come on and share with my audience uh, some of their expertise. And, and it's not just to help the average golfers out there and even the advanced golfers, but it's really to help one another within the industry. Because as I said earlier on the show with the other guys, um, it's really about sharing uh, information amongst one another. So I always uh, try to do that. Um, I think it's a great format to do that. Uh, you can't can't always get that information out in social media, so I try to do that. So, Paul, thank you very much again for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight and being my, my special guest, and uh, enjoy the U.S. Open this weekend. Thanks so much, Ted. I uh, appreciate you having me. Looking forward to being 
back with you for Coach's Corner and I think it's like a month. Yeah, I think so. So have a good one, and uh, and thank you again for coming on uh, Golf Talk Live. Okay, thanks so much. Have a good night. You're welcome. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, that was my very special guest. Uh, Paul Castor uh, is the um, golf coach and uh, director of instruction at Forsgate Country Club, um, and uh, just a, a great gentleman, wealth of knowledge, and I appreciate him coming on the show tonight as, as we just uh, wrapped up here. Um, he'll be joining us in about a month's time back on Coach's Corner and, and offering some input as well. So uh, on behalf of uh, me, myself, and I, have a great uh, weekend, everybody. Enjoy the U.S. Open. Thank you to all of you listeners uh, for tuning in faithfully to Golf Talk Live each and every week. And thank you to all the sponsors and supporters of the program as well. God bless everybody, and I will see you next Thursday right here at 6 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>